I would just say if there's anyone out there and you're struggling with this recovery thing, you're never too far gone. I thought God may be there for other people, but that just won't work for me. If if he only knew he had, he does know the things that I've done, I'm just too far gone. And all I want to say is you're never too far gone. Pick up that phone, call. We're not meant to carry this burden on our own. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. That, boys and girls, was the voice of Miss Lauren M. that you heard at the beginning of this episode today. And we are calling this one Tweaker Finds Gift of Desperation. That will become real clear why it's called that as you listen to the episode. Lauren is from the Missouri area. She is a member of TGIS. We believe that stands for Thank God I'm Sober, but we're not completely sure. Um, One of the terms she uses during this episode today is a, a recovery sandwich, which I had never heard of, and she will explain that. Lauren had some people that showed up in her life. They were what my friend Renee calls God with skin on. In other words, they were the right people at the right time, at the right moment. One of them was a guy named Todd, the mystery man on the train. Uh, and another, and two others were a couple of friends of hers that were, they were just angels that were there at the right time. So um, Lauren's going to talk about family life, both before and after recovery. And one of the terms she uses during this uh, podcast, uh, during this episode, I should say. She said, I was worn down to the nub of a human. I had never heard that term before. But first things first, this episode, ladies and gentlemen, is brought to you by Pink F and John M. Both Pink and John went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, clicked on the Donate tab, and made a contribution. Pink and John M., this episode is for you. Thank you so much for your generous contribution. We could not do this without you. Uh, God bless you. And by the way, that John M. is not me, John M. I promise you, I'm not going in making a donation on my own website and then (laughs) coming to the mic and talking about it. But uh, nonetheless, thank you, Pink and John M. We really do appreciate it. All right. I really appreciate you tuning in today. 
And my prayer is that by listening to this episode and all the other episodes that we have, that you will be able to get a sense of what is possible for you and that you're able to glean some sort of vision, if you will, from the amazing men and women who are so vulnerable and they come to this mic to share their experience, strength, and hope. I'm so grateful to them. And my prayer for you, the listener, is that you can gain some sort of clarity, if you will, regarding your own experience in recovery and and what it needs to look like for you. If you're like me, coming into the program especially, I was restless, I was irritable, I was discontent, I was getting loaded all the time, and I was trying to figure out this thing called life. And I'm hoping somehow that, that you can travel to that small, quiet voice inside yourself and gather that, uh, what the big book would call uh, an intuitive thought. So you can gather that intuitive thought and you can know more about yourself and what makes you tick. And hopefully you can pick up some additional tools that you can use in your, your existing recovery or perhaps you're sober curious and you're not sober yet. Sober curious, I like that term. And it's time to begin your, uh, I guess what you would call your journey in recovery. And you can realize it doesn't have to be this way for the rest of your life. I was thinking about you guys again last night, and and, and it made me consider, I thought to myself, because I was getting a little bit what you call verklempt, right? I was getting a little bit emotional about it. And I thought, how, John M., in the world did you end up forming a relationship with a multitude of people that you don't even know, but that you care very deeply about? And I'm talking about you, the listeners, or or as we say in Texas, y'all, the listeners. I know I have mentioned this uh, many times over, but I do. I, I I pray for you guys. I think of you often. And, and like I said, I realize I'm never going to hear from the vast majority, but I, but, but I know, I, I recognize that you are out there and I have some sort of spiritual connection with you guys and you help me to survive. You put gas in my tank. And survive really is not the word that I should use. You help me to thrive and have breadth and depth to my life. Um, And, you know, I'm going to do listener feedback all at the end of this podcast or at the end of this episode. But but there's one email that I received that I want to share with you on the front end because it illustrates the relationship that we all have with each other. Not only we in the Sober Speak community, but we as a fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and we as human beings in general trying to get through this thing called life. Jessica wrote in on email and she said, Hello, John. I live in Houston and my sobriety date is March 31st, 2017. By the way, Jessica, I just realized you were one month out from being uh, two years sober. God bless you. But nonetheless, she said, I came across your podcast as I was looking for Al-Anon and other podcast options. 
I was feeling desperate and kind of sad. I came across Dawn C., and I loved it, and it was so real and so helpful. Matt C., another episode, brought me to tears and brought me hope for my brother, too. And then she put a big pink heart. I will listen to Sober Speak all the time, and I recommend it to everyone. It's an amazing resource. Your Valentine's Day podcast and one-year anniversary brought a lot of emotion and gratitude to my heart for you and all you do for the people that make time to share their story on your podcast. When you said that even though you may never get to meet 99% of us, but you still pray for us and that we were angels with only one wing and the only way we could fly is by embracing each other, simply beautiful. Life has been amazing in recovery. I'm forever grateful and I can enjoy life and go through it sober. It has had its challenges, but they are worth it, exclamation point. God bless you, John, exclamation point, Jessica. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is the power of the listeners. It's the power of the fellowship, and it is the power of God. It doesn't get any better than that. And by that, I mean this, because I shared the text that came from that email with my friend Matt C. By the way, that's episode 48, The Age of Miracles is Still With Us. I shared that with him, what Jessica had said, and he wrote me back and he said, this brought him to tears. And when I read that from Matt, that brought me to tears. So me and Jessica and Matt, at some point, we're all in tears regarding his story. And once again, that's the power of God, that's the power of the fellowship, and that's the power of the listeners. And Don C. is mentioned in that letter as well. And I don't want you to forget her. She's episode 49. So that's 48 and 49 back to back. Hers is called Psycho Girlfriend Turns AA Fanatic. And it is a phenomenal episode. I just wanted to read that. Uh, This is more of a side note. We do have a secret Facebook group. All right. And you can't find the secret Facebook group by uh, searching for it. That is the reason it's secret. Uh, And I am new to Facebook. I'm new to Instagram. I'm new to Twitter. I'm new to all this stuff. And I'm, I'm picking it up. And I have a lot of you guys, a lot of the listeners and my friends and family who helped me out along the way. But the only way you can get invited to the secret Facebook group is by someone either within their group inviting you or you send me your email that is associated with your Uh, Facebook group, and I can send you an invite. You can contact me in many ways. You can either just send me an email to john at soberspeak.com. You can go to our website, soberspeak.com, click on the contact us tab and send me an email there. Um, Or you can reach out to me via uh, Instagram. Uh, Just follow me there and I read all my direct messages. Uh, That is at soberspeak. So we would love to have you in that secret Facebook group. 
Uh, we oh had so much activity in there this week. A lot of great questions like, when was the first time you, or what was it like when you fell in love with Alcoholics Anonymous? Another gentleman named Jim posted a post that said, uh, what was your favorite drinking song to get drunk to and sad and why? Oh, and we had all kinds of good comments on that one. So anyway, we'd, we would love to have you in there. Look at it this way. You have a lot of like-minded individuals in the group that are with you and you can share with them. One other thing here. Actually, a couple of other things. I'm kind of on a roll today. Just bear with me, all right? So I, this last week, received an email from a daily daily AA email organization that I get emails from, and it's called Transitions Daily. And my friend Buddy C over there helps to manage that group. Uh, by the way, Buddy C has his own podcast, and it's called The Tao of Our Understanding. Tao is T-A-O. And if you're into Taoism, or even if you're not, you're just Tao curious and you want to check it out, um, I'll put a link to that in the uh, show notes for you. It's really a good uh, podcast, and I think you would get a lot out of it. But nonetheless, this other organization is called, uh, if you go to dailyaaemails.com, you can find it there. I get I get an email on a daily basis. It's from what's called Transitions Daily. Once again, I'll put this in the show notes so you can access it. But there was this one quote, and it was from page 15 in the 12 and 12. And for whatever reason, it just really hit me this that day. Here's what it says. It says, AA's 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which, if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to drink and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. Wow. I mean, that's pretty big promise. Expel the obsession to drink and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. Oh man, I just that hit me like a, a ton of bricks because uh, that is what has happened in my life. I, I'm not perfect by any means. I still have a warehouse of issues that I deal with, but I feel happy and usefully whole. And then it says, AA's 12 Traditions apply to the life of the fellowship itself. They outline the means by which AA maintains its unity and relates itself to the world, about it, the way it lives, and grows. So, if anybody ever asks you what AA is, what the steps are, and the traditions are, that's on page 15 of the 12 and 12. One other thing I've been thinking about here this week, I've gotten several, both uh, direct messages on Instagram and and, uh, messages via email, and I've seen some other things on Facebook also as well. And I I wanted to bring this up, and this is the subject of fear as it relates to recovery. Even though I know more about podcasting now than I did when I started, I still feel like, ladies and gentlemen, that I am an imposter 
from a pers- from a podcast perspective, and, and to a large degree, I am still winging all of this. I really don't know what I'm doing. I know more than when I started, but what does this have to do with uh, recovery? Well, just like this podcast, or even really when I share in a meeting, because I still share in meetings, and I am still with the podcast and sharing the meetings and sharing with you guys, even right at this moment, I I get afraid of rejection. I get afraid of what other people are going to think about me. Uh, I'm afraid that I'll do it wrong. Um, I feel like when you guys are listening to this podcast, that you should be listening to quote, real podcasters, unquote, right? Because I think, (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm just throwing this out there because this podcast and what I do with it is much, much like AA when I when I entered the program. I thought that this program, and when I say this program for me, that means Alcoholics Anonymous, and I know there are other people listening in other programs, but I thought AA would not work for me, but it would work for others. And you know what? I actually kind of proved my theory for like three years uh, running because I was in and out of the program picking up what they call white chips or desire chips time after time after time again. The one thing that I did right was I kept coming back. And the last time I got the sponsor that I still have today, and he took me through the steps. He said, have you worked the steps yet? And I said, no, I haven't. And he took me and he showed me the big book. He walked me through the steps and did it just as the first hundred men and women had done it. And I hadn't have to have a, I hadn't have not had to have a drink since that time by the grace of God. And what would happen during those three years is my gut and my heart would tell me, all right, John, keep going back to AA. That's the right thing to do. But then my head would start lying to me. And I believe the lie. And the lie was, is that I'm different and I can't stay sober. And the and that sobriety was for others, but not for me. It was a lie. I'm not sure where you are in your journey, but if fear is preventing you from walking into a recovery program, I pray that you can lay aside any preconceived notions or fears that you may have, or maybe not even lay aside the fear, but just walk through the fear, step into the rooms, and give recovery a try. As we always say, we will gladly refund your misery if you decide recovery is not for you. Friends, I love you, and I thank you so much for listening in. Now on to Lauren, and we'll have some feedback, listener feedback, at the end of her story. Stay tuned. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Miss Lauren M. out of the Missouri area, Ozark, Missouri. Am I correct about that, Miss Lauren? You are. Hi, John. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm really glad that you're here. Okay, so why don't you, uh, well, I've already introduced you, but you can introduce yourself again and give your sobriety date, if you will, and give some people a little bit of background on you. All right. My name is Lauren M. and my sobriety date is 5-30-2016. Uh, my home group is 
TGIS in Springfield, Missouri. TGIS. What does that stand for? Yeah. So I'm pretty sure it means thank God I'm sober, but I'm going to ask my sponsor tonight after we do this because now (laughs) I'm, I'm really curious. I'm pretty sure it is, but I need to know for sure. (laughs) We're just out of curiosity. Does it meet on Saturday or Sunday? It does not. Oh, no. Okay, so it can't be. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it can't be, thank God, it's Saturday or Sunday. Nope. And if I'm correct, my other days of the week do not start with uh, the other days of the week do not start with an S. So, all right. So you're a member of TGIS and uh, uh, tell me about, uh, I don't know, uh, do, do you have a sponsor? Do you sponsor people? Tell me a little bit about all that. Yeah. So I am a sponsor of two young ladies and I have a sponsor who has a sponsor. So I am a huge believer in sponsorship and it, um, it is just such a gift to be sponsoring, uh, the two girls that I work with. One has about 18 months and the other has a couple weeks and it's, I just learn stuff from them all the time and they, it's such a joy to be a part of their lives. God bless you. God bless you. So, and I want to point out something else here on the front end. I noticed that your sobriety date is uh, March, excuse me, April the 30th. My, May. A- a- I don't know why I'm doing I'm, I'm I'm backwards with my days and months here. But You're wishing for spring. I am I too. I guess so. <laughs> Um, I, uh, but my, your, your sobriety date is May 30th and mine is May 29th. So we're just a day removed from each other. And I happen to know that is Memorial Day weekend, or at least was for me. Was, was it Memorial Day weekend when you got sober? Yes. Yep. Well, let's go ahead and start there and then we'll go back around. But uh, I know there's a lot of things that I'm sure that led up to May 30th of 2016. But do you remember that day coming into Alcoholics Anonymous on May 30th? I do. I remember uh, I woke up that morning. I was in San Clemente, California in a hotel room with uh, a bunch of other sick people and I just, something was different that morning. Um, I reached out to a good friend of mine who I grew up with. She's not in the program, but uh, spirit leads us to do things. Her, her, her fiance was in the program. And so I called her and she talks about this. I just recently saw her last week. She's in California. Uh, and I had the joy of seeing her again after, for the first time since I've been sober. And I called her that morning and she brought this up last week when I saw her and she said, you know, I normally don't answer my phone. I'll, I'll, uh, let it go to voicemail and then I'll call back. She usually screens her phone calls, but she picked up that day and it was me. Um, and she was the only one who wasn't done with me and I had burned a lot of bridges and she was the only one I could think of that, that might answer the phone if I called. And I'm so glad that she did. And her fiance was in AA. And so she said, you know, uh, where, where are you? Can you get to me? And I, I still had a car. And so, and I, like any good, you know, alcoholic slash tweaker, I had all my worldly belongings in the back of my car. And uh, so I, you know, I drove to her and it was about an hour drive. And uh, when I got there, her fiance was waiting and he did what any good AA or does with a newcomer. And it's 
uh, eat sleep meetings, eat sleep meetings. And he, he introduced me to the term halt, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And I was all of those things. <laughs> I was all of those things. So they took me in and uh, I stayed on their couch for three days and we ate, slept, and went to meetings. And I tell you what, it, uh, that wasn't my first experience with AA, but it was uh, the first time that it s- started working for me or that I started working for it. <laughs> Oh, that is, God bless your friend and I know. fiance. Isn't I mean, my goodness, those were angels in your life. I, yes, exactly. I, I hope they're able to hear this uh, recording uh, after. Oh, I'm sure uh, they will. And they know, they the two of them, uh, they have since uh, parted ways, but they each hold such a special place in my heart and always will. They play, they were pivotal in my, in my sobriety. So what led to you being out in California? Uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Well, no, or, no, no. Uh, back, uh, okay. Back so I grew up in Southern California and uh, when, when things got real bad, uh, two of my sisters stopped what they were doing, dropped everything in their lives and flew out to Missouri to get me. So uh, they checked me out of a, uh, the mental hospital here in Joplin, Missouri, and they flew me back to California, the two of them. And they, I mean, they both, my sister's a big time real estate agent and my, my other sister is um, a psychologist. So it's not like they don't have anything else to do. You know, they, they dropped what they were doing to come get me um, and took me out to California for treatment. My parents thought that it would be best for me to be out there away from uh, the life I had created out here. So by that time, I had left my kids and my husband. A lot of people's kids get taken from them. Uh, I chose to leave mine. And in early sobriety, that was a huge source of guilt and shame for me. Um, I would get sober and get clean and, you know, kind of dust, dust myself off and start, uh, doing my best to work the steps. Uh, but as soon as I would get to looking at the things I had done, I would relapse. And now looking back, I know that's because I didn't have a conscious contact with a higher power. You know, I was trying to do it on my own and white knuckle it. So now looking back, I can see that, that, you know, you, you sober up, you clean up and you start, the dust settles and you start to look around you and it's, it's too much. But I've come to learn that around these tables and in the rooms of AA, uh, that's a burden we're not meant to carry on our own. We never were meant to carry that. And my higher, higher power um, reassures me that every day that, we're, I mean, I'm not in this alone. We're all in this together and we can't do it alone. We're not meant to. Right. So I'm going to try to close a, a little bit of a timeline or a little bit of a gap there where I, I was trying to figure things out. So I know your sisters came and got you and then you went to Southern California and then you mentioned though that you woke up one day and you were with some people who were sick like you and then you went to go see this uh, a friend of yours and her fiance. So something happened in that gap there that I'm assuming wasn't so pleasant. Yeah. So, uh, I got to Southern California 
and my sisters checked me into the Salvation Army. And a uh, great organization. I I think it's wonderful. So, uh, but I had been using meth, and so I was having major delusions. And so they checked me into uh, the Salvation Army. I was there about five days, and we were all sitting around, and this woman was reading a Bible verse. And she said, the Bible verse was, pick up your mat and go. Pick up your mat and go. Pick up your mat and go. So I left. (laughs) So I, it was nine o'clock at night. You know, I'm probably almost two weeks sober at that point, clean and sober. And so I was following all these, uh, what I thought were signs from God on what I'm supposed to do. Like I went down one street called Mentor Avenue. Like I was looking for signs. I was trying to make connections. Uh, so it's Los Angeles, nine o'clock at night. I don't have a driver's license. I don't have anything. I am in t-shirt and jeans. Uh, I have nothing. And so I hop on the train, the Metro and my mom calls him my angel. This man, Todd, he kept saying, my name's Todd, T-O-D-D. He rode the train with me all night, kept me warm, gave me a coat, bought me a sandwich, kept me safe. And I feel like looking back, I feel like he was walking me out like a horse, how we walk a horse out to tire it out. I feel like he was walking me out um, to keep me out of trouble. Um, So all night, you know, we walk and walk and ride the train and ride the bus. We went all over. And so we end up calling my parents and riding the train and meeting my parents. And my parents uh, were probably, I don't even know. (laughs) what in the world? So they fly me out from Missouri. I escape from the Salvation Army, you know? And so we, they get a call and uh, we meet, Todd and I meet my parents and my parents take me and check me in to a dual diagnosis facility for mental health and 12 steps. And that is exactly what I needed. Uh, That meth and the lack of sleep and the years of alcohol, like my brain was so fried. And so I really got nurtured in two different ways in the mental and then the, you know, the 12 step, it was a perfect recovery sandwich. And so I stayed there for 90 days. (laughs) Recovery sandwich. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I stayed there for 90 days, inpatient treatment. And, uh, had a relapse. I thought I uh, had fallen in love with a heroin addict. And so we were going to, you know, start a life together. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so I, this is a common story is the, yeah, you know, and I, you know, I shouldn't, you know, I'm ashamed of it, but I mean, that's just, we're, I was grasping at any kind of like love and affection and approval. And, you know, so anyway, so I woke up from that real fast, fortunately, but um, so relapse and then came back to the, the, um, dual diagnosis facility and then went to sober living and in Missouri, they call them halfway houses in California. It's a sober living. And so, um, and then I was doing outpatient and class was five nights a week for two hours, which sounds very simple, but slowly over time, uh, that began began to put a cramp, you know, in my style. And again, I didn't have a higher power. I had no spiritual relationship with anything. 
Did you um, grow up with any sort of background? With no, and I'm glad you asked that uh, because my mom was raised very strict Catholic. And so she went the opposite. She's very, she's spiritual, but not, they never shoved any religion down our throat or anything. And so I'm so grateful for that because I didn't know until I got to AA how angry or how resentful or what, what that has done to some people. And I'm so grateful. I didn't have any of that. So I didn't come here with the resentment towards God or you know, so I was kind of like a clean slate when I got here and I'm so grateful for that because I was able to, uh, pick a higher power of my choosing. Um, so for a while I chose your higher power or his higher power, whoever's, you know, so, um, my higher power evolves all the time and I'm learning, I'm learning things all the time about my higher power. And, um, I spent the first two years of my sobriety in a Baptist church and it was just the, the structure that I needed. And I didn't have the resentment. A lot of people have a resentment towards the Baptist church and they, they loved and nurtured my family back to health. And I will be forever grateful for that to them. And yeah, uh, there's a line in the book that says we are quick to see where religious people are right. And uh, yes. I know they can get uh, raked over the coals and some for good reason, right? But the vast majority of them are just good people trying to find yeah. their way, just like me and you. Yeah. And so you can imagine uh, a little back backstory here. My husband and I have been together since I was 19 years old. I'm 37 now. So, oh, wow. This, so he went through all this. Yes. So this man uh, has really seen the best and the worst of me. He has literally cleaned up all, literally all of my messes. Okay. <laughs> literally and figuratively. I mean, financial ruin, emotional ruin. I, and that was a lot of guilt and shame, you know, I had for, you know, I felt like I had messed up his life big time and I felt responsible for that. And so early in sobriety, again, that was another thing that I would relapse over. Um, and again, that's not something I meant to bear all on my own. So this church home that, that we found, I went, I went probably for a year by myself uh, to church and was just you know, hanging on there. I had a sponsor who went there and a, a number of other people in AA. And so it was nice to, to have, you know, my AA people at church and my church people at AA. So it was real nice to have that. Uh, but rightfully so, my husband was very angry, very angry, very resentful. And the way he dealt with that was pulling inside. And he, the best way I can explain it, he was like a shell. Like he was here, but he wasn't here um, because I, when I left, uh, he had just had knee surgery and literally couldn't get off the couch. And I left him with two kids mm. on his own with no money and no, like no help. And so that's how I left him. And then <laughs> I go off to California, you know, and to some, it may look, I was, I got put up in a really nice treatment center. Okay. I'm very, very, very fortunate. But when you're sitting in Missouri, cold, dark Missouri, trying to raise two kids on your own with not a penny to rub together, you know, it may look like I'm out there having a grand old time, which I was, I was, <laughs> I was having a grand old time. Um, you know, so there was a lot of anger and resentment. So when I came back, he, he wanted me to come back. But it took about a 
a year and we almost didn't make it. I, I remember we had a conversation one night. Well, I was always told, don't do anything for a year. Don't make any big decisions. Um, and so I, I said, okay, I'll give it a year. Well, when a year came around, there was no progress. I, I felt like I was doing you know, everything I needed to do to make things better. But he just, he wasn't there. He wasn't present in life, in our marriage, in, in anything. Um, rightfully so, you know, but there's only so much you can hang on. Um, and people would tell me how, how many years did he hang in there for you? You know? And I would say, I know, but (laughs) I know, but I know, but I know, but so anyway, one night we had a tough conversation and I told him, you know, I, I can't do this if you're not going to be a part of it anymore. And I said, I, you know, I'm very aware of all of the pain that I've put you through, but at some point either, you know, are, do we want to keep trying or, or should we just, you know, let it go? And at church that morning, I heard a sermon on uh, turning the other cheek. And when our neighbor asked us to go a mile, we want to go that extra mile. And so he said, give me a month. And I said, I will give you two. And so we went to our pastor and asked, you know, what, what do we do? What do we do here? Our marriage, you know, and I was honest. I said, I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. And he told our pastor, Josh, he told us, you know, you, you keep fighting, you keep fighting. You have come so far, you keep fighting. And I needed to hear that. I really, really needed to hear that. And so I kept fighting, even though I didn't, I didn't want to, I was there because I was dotting my I's and crossing my T's. I was doing my due diligence to say, I have done everything in my power. So I was kind of there out of spite, you know, and it turns out it saved my marriage. So um, I'm so grateful for that. But anyway, so then we did a little uh, counseling. Both of us were willing to do whatever it took. And there's a lot of healing and there's stuff we're, we're working on, you know, all the time. A lot of people, you don't hear a lot about, you know, the aftermath in your marriage and recovery and there's hope it can work. We've been together uh, this March will be our 16th wedding anniversary. And if we can do it, (laughs) anybody can do it. I am a true alcoholic and this man is hung on and um, he's just, he's wonderful. We actually had a little spat before (laughs) this podcast, but every day he teaches me things. For work, I have to wear a uniform and he, he's teaching me stuff all the time and he's so compassionate. So I have to wear a a uniform for work and I came home and, uh, I've been off work for a while. I hurt my shoulder. And so I'm going back on Tuesday and I tried on my uniform and I've gained a little weight and, uh, we had to tuck our shirts in and I was just saying, you know, I, I look terrible and I just want, I just wanted to complain, you know, and he's like, no, you look great. You look, and I got so mad at it. I'm like, can you just, can you let me complain? You know? And then I realized I am constantly shoving my feelings down his throat. And so, you know, it's just stuff like that because of this program, I can step back and say, wait a minute. I do that to him all the time. I shove my feelings down his throat. You know, I just need to, step back and let him feel his feelings. That's all I wanted to do is feel my feel. I was just upset, you know? So because of this program, I use those tools in my marriage and, and realize I do those things to him all the time and to, to show a little grace and mercy. (laughs) 
So I was thinking when you were talking about that sermon that you heard that day at a church, uh, which was like turn the other cheek, I was uh, thinking that, uh, uh, thank goodness they didn't make the sermon of uh, pack up your mat and pick up your mat. Right? Yeah. I know sermons and scripture and stuff. <laughs> I am like, I, I pay attention. I do as I'm told most That's of the right. time. <laughs> Okay, so I want to go back a little bit because you've mentioned, you, you know, obviously, you know, we tell people on this uh, uh, on this podcast that uh, it is a uh, it's based on the Alcoholics Anonymous twelve steps of recovery, right? But uh, you have mentioned a couple times there, uh, but the word meth and they were, use the word tweaker, uh, and some people may not be familiar with that term tweaker. Most people are familiar with the term meth, so there must have been somewhere where that kind of weaved into the story. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, I can. And any old timers that hear this will cringe because those are outside issues, you know, but it's a part of my story. Yeah. So, so let, let's talk about that real quick, because okay. people who really are not familiar, there are people who listen to this that don't attend Alcoholics Anonymous, right? right they, they've true. just heard about Alcoholics Anonymous. This is one of their uh, exposures, if you will, to the program. We have what we call singleness of purpose in Alcoholics Anonymous, right? It's called the fifth tradition. And uh, there's a little bit of controversy around it because uh, uh, basically the theory is, is that you only talk about alcohol, right? But so many of us have come in and experienced things like meth and all sorts of other drugs coming in on the, on the front end. And, and I'm not going to go into the history of it and all that sort of thing, but that's what Lauren's talking about when she's saying old timers may cringe a little bit, but we're not you know, we're not bound, if you will, by the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous, even though I, I do try to pay very close attention to them. I don't give be, uh, last names. We maintain anonymity. We're self-supporting through our own contributions and all that sort of stuff. So anyway, with that being said, how do you view that, if you will, uh, having to deal with both your, your meth background and then being part of Alcoholics Anonymous? I'm glad you brought that up because it is a big issue. And I, I was... Not for me, but sometimes it seems like it is for others. So I attended um, when I was in treatment. Um, it just so happened that they took us to NA meetings. And I think there was like one AA meeting in there. You know, when it comes down to it, this and now this is just my opinion. And I'm just another alcoholic. I, for me, AA worked better. So I think there's a place in this world for all of the 12-step programs. I went to NA meetings early in recovery, and it just so happened that AA works better for me. And I had a sponsee who struggled with the, the alcohol part. You know, oh, I'm not an alcoholic. And this is just my personal opinion. This is just what I do. Anywhere in the book, it says alcohol. I can substitute for drugs, sex shopping, any, any addiction that I have, I can work these 12 steps and get a solution. Understood. Hey, I'm going to take a little break here and do a little of what I call a mid-tro uh, announcement. Okay. And then we'll get back to you. And by the way, before I go into that, neither Lauren nor I speak for Alcoholics Anonymous as a whole, right? And if you have a hundred people read the traditions and interpret the traditions, everyone will have a different slant on that. Uh, we're just trying to give you our experience, strength, and hope here. Okay. We will be continuing our conversation with Lauren in just a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to 
Soberspeak. You can find us on the web at www.soberspeak.com. There you will find our entire back catalog of other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find on our website uh, the donate button. And you can use that if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Soberspeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions, like I just mentioned a moment ago. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. Okay, now back to Miss Lauren. Okay, so we talked about your... Uh, reference to the, the the tweaking and the meth. And so, like I said, somehow that entered the picture. Alcohol was a big part of my life. And that's how I got relief from, you know, all the, all the feelings of not being a part of, not being good enough um, and things like that. And eventually, you know, alcohol stopped working for me. And I found, I found meth one night when I was drinking, you know, we went back to a friend's house and someone had a line on the table, offered it to me. And like any good alcoholic, I jumped right on the chance to, you know, <laughs> be outside of myself for a little bit longer. And so I did that line, a monthly or weekend habit turned into very quickly a daily habit. And that just, once I got a hold of that, it just everything spiraled out of control really fast. And I just went down hard and fast after, after I found meth. So, so how long did you do that before you actually got into the program? I mean, not even, it wasn't even a year of total use. It was a very short, short time. Yeah. But I understand it could take you down quick. And so, yeah. All right. So, and that was part of getting you to your bottom. Yes. And getting you into your first meeting. Oh Yeah. Talk about your first meeting a little bit. So my first meeting was about four years before I actually got clean and sober. One of my former bosses introduced me to AA and he had, because of his drinking, lost his job and was asked to resign. And um, I thought, man, that that's a shame that that happens to him. You know, I never thinking that I had a problem, but I really like this guy, even though we, you know, he was a red faced, angry man all the time at work. He, I did enjoy him. He was a lot of fun and just really enjoyed him. So when he got fired, I remember seeing him one time and he was sounded good. He was peaceful. There was, there was something different about him. And I was like, you know, I, you know, what are you doing? And he said, well, I go to these meetings, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, you should come sometime. And I thought, yeah, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to support you. (laughs) And so, I was 12-stepped. I had no idea. So I went to my first AA meeting. Just I remember sitting in that room and just spilling my guts and crying and just, you know, it was such a release. But again, I was sick and not ready to come into the program. And so I looked for the differences and not the similarities. And I thought, my drinking's not really out of control. Maybe I need to you know, quit popping so many pills. Maybe, maybe that's a problem, but I, my drinking really isn't that big of a problem. And so, and I wasn't ready. And so it took me four years to come back. And actually that, that group, when I came back to Missouri, when I was sober, um, was my home group, Courage to Change there in Ozark. And that's a real neat little group down there. So, and I'll be forever grateful to them. 
Okay. So take me up into sobriety now. So uh, now you're sober. You've been sober now for about two and a half years or so. Uh, um, You talked about your family and being able to have some reconciliation there. Talk to me about the program in AA, uh, your work. Why don't you sum up these last two and a half years best you can? Okay. So, um, well, at the end of recovery, I was a loader. I worked for FedEx and I loaded trucks and I would come to work. So it was just a disaster. And for some reason, somehow, some way I got hired as a driver. (laughs) (laughs) And anyway, all long story short, I was fired. Obviously I couldn't do my job properly. So anyway, and that I just loved that job. When I came back to Missouri, you know, I called my husband when I was with Tom and Michelle and they were taking me to meetings, eat sleep meetings and teaching me all that. I called my husband and he decided that I should come back and I I jumped at the chance. So I drove from California to Missouri. Um, I stopped one night um near, I think like near Shamrock, Texas, just at the very north side of Texas. It was a lovely town, wink, wink, and stayed the night there um, and just drove home. And it was real nice to have that, that time to be thinking on, you know, it was just nice to have that quiet time. And my mind was, for the first time in a long time, my mind was quiet. I just realized that that drive back was so peaceful. You know, it was just so peaceful and the beauty of the desert, that part of the country. And I'm just realizing this now. So anyway, so I get back to Missouri and I go to that little home group, Courage to Change, and they welcome me with open arms. And my former boss, you know, picked out a sponsor for me and I'm so glad he did. Um, My first sponsor was so great. I I love her. She's still great, Miss Rita. Um, So I started for work I started uh, unloading trucks at Walmart for $9 an hour. And I was just so glad to be there, you know, and um, it sucked, but I was willing to go to any length. And when I came in these rooms, I had what they call the gift of desperation. And I just, I was just worn down to a nub of a human. I was just willing to do whatever it took. So slowly, you know, I worked my way up at Walmart um, surprisingly, I had a job as a pharmacy tech and I don't recommend that for everyone, but through prayer and meditation and talking to my sponsor and because I, you know, work an honest program, I was able to do that. And I think that was my higher powers way of telling me, Hey, if you can do this, you know, three months in sobriety, you can do anything. So, um, then I moved on to other positions, but then over time, there was this nagging in the back of my mind that I really wanted to go back to FedEx. And I just, I didn't think it was possible. I'd been fired from there and because of my drinking and using and, um, but it was that small voice that wouldn't go away. And so in the little signs from my higher power, I'm always on the lookout for them. Um, now in sobriety, you can see they're everywhere. But um, so I would see FedEx trucks everywhere and uniforms. And then, you know, you'd run into people and I was like, all right, I just got to do this. So I, I applied and I was hired. I got my job as a driver back and, you know, I never thought that that was possible. And it's because of this program. And I, it taught me, this program taught me to do the next right thing and to be willing to not come right back in and say, you know, I deserve to have this job back. I was willing to work 
from the ground up and rebuild that and rebuild my trust in people and, and things like that. And that's because of this program. You know, I, I was an entitled little brat and I do have my days where I still am, but this program and conscious contact with my higher power really, you know, right size me and keep me in my proper place. So it's because of this program and working the steps that, I mean, I never thought I would have this job again. And now, you know, I, I get to do what I love. I love this job. I meet so many new people. I get to pop in and bring presents and, you know, kind of wow them and chit chat and kind of, you know, every now and then I get to a chance to share my story. And I just love making those connections along the way, you know, during this journey of life, when we run into a kindred spirit, you know, and you just make that connection and that just, that, that is why we do this. And I have a story if we have, do we have time? Yeah. Real quick? yeah. yeah. Okay. So working at FedEx, there's lots of people in the terminal before I was clean and sober. I had seen this guy, you know, seen him around. And then three ish years later, I come back as a driver and I see this guy again. I had never met him, but I knew his face. Okay. So that's a little backstory. So I was having a really, really rough day at work. And I, to the point I was, I was going to quit. Okay. And I was looking for any, I was looking for someone to co-sign my bullshit really is what I was doing. And so anyone in my mind would have, if they knew what I was putting up with my situation, they would have said, yeah, you know, I wouldn't hang in there either. Just quit, you know, no big deal. Because we work for contractors. And so I was wanting to go to a different contract. So we work for contractors and it was during Christmas. And so I wanted to switch contractors, but the right thing to do is to give notice. And so my new contractor that I'm going to go work for said, I require that you give your old contractor a month notice because it's the right thing to do. And then in sobriety, I'm glad to do those things before I would have just quit and done whatever I wanted to do. So we do the right thing now. Those first few days were really tough. Um, There was a lot of backlash and people were angry and I was having a hard time hanging in there. And I had used all my tools and all my resources. I called my sponsor. I had reached out to my husband. I had done everything I could think to do. And it still wasn't working. So I went to the terminal manager's office and I was really looking for an okay to quit. So I went in and I said, you know, I'm looking for some guidance. I need your guidance. I don't know what to do. I'm trying to do the right thing and stay and finish my, you know, the month notice. I just don't know what to do. I've called my sponsor. I've called my husband. I don't know what to do. And so I hear this voice and he says, I know what to do. And I look and here's this man, this man that I had seen from when I worked there before. I had never met him. And he says, there he is saying, I know what to do. Come with me. So we go into a next, the next room, into an office. We sit down. And he said, you know, I really wish my wife was here. I'm confused by it, you know, at this point. And he said, I really wish my wife was here because women are supposed to work with women and men are supposed to work with men. And I knew he was that moment. I knew he was in the program and I just started crying. And he said, it's going to be okay. I know what to do. He, and we had a mini meeting there and it just, he talked me off the ledge. He 
told me to go back out there, kick some ass, finish my notice like a responsible, sober member of society and not to run away like the scared little girl that I was, you know, being inside. Things like that are just why we do this. It's it's what I live for. And it's little connections like that. Like I hope that when I have 21 years in the program, like he does, that I can turn around, save someone, talk them off a ledge like he did for me. It just, I just can't describe to you like how wonderful sobriety is. It's just amazing. I love it. God bless you. One quick question I have before we wrap up. And that is, uh, remember that guy that you were talking about named uh, Todd, uh, the man on the train, so to speak. Do you know, did you ever come across Todd again? I did not. And I'm hoping maybe someday I will get to thank him for, you know, keeping me safe that night. He, my mom calls him my guardian angel and I'll never forget. He says, my name is Todd, T-O-D-D. So he's somewhere out there and I'm so grateful for him. <laughs> well, Mr. Todd on the train, T-O-D-D, we're uh, grateful that you uh, kept Lauren safe for the night. And, uh, you know, that's one of those little things that uh, people go unnoticed for, just these little favors in life. Uh, God bless you, Mr. Todd. All right. Anything you want to add before we wrap up here for the listeners? I think I would just say if there's anyone out there and you're struggling with this recovery thing, I can only say what maybe I would want to hear or those early days or maybe deciding that I maybe want help. You're never too far gone. I thought God may be there for other people, but that just won't work for me. If, if he only knew, you know, he had, he does know the things that I've done and I'm just too far gone. And all I want to say is you're never too far gone. Pick up that phone call. We're not meant to carry this burden on our own. Yeah, we're not uh, meant to do this alone. That's why all the language in the book talks about we, 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 we admitted we were, we, 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 and, uh, uh, all the way home. We, we, we all the yeah, way home. Right. And I am so at home in these rooms. <laughs> that's great, Lauren. Okay. So I'm going to close it up here with uh, page 164 of the big book. And it says, abandon yourself to God. As you understand God, admit your faults to him and to your fellows clear away the wreckage of your past, give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Lauren, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Uh, if you want to reach out to me uh, to uh, get in touch with Lauren, you're more than welcome to do that. I'm at either uh, feedback at soberspeak.com or john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com. Once again, Miss Lauren, Thank you so much for uh, spending time with me here on this. I sure do appreciate it. And God bless you and all your homies there up in uh, Missouri. Thank you, Jonathan. How about that? Lauren has an infectious laugh, does she not? Um, it was great being able to spend some time with her. God bless her entire family and everybody who has been along for the ride with her. Uh, God bless uh, T-O-D-D Todd. Uh, God bless those two friends who helped her in the beginning, and uh, um, that was just an amazing story. So now on to a little bit of listener feedback, and then we will wrap 
this up for the week. Kathy M. writes in, she says, John, I am listening to Megan P. right now. I'm blown away by the similarities in our stories. I shared with you in a previous email that I work SLAA, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. I think that's what that stands for, if I've got the acronym right, and not AA, but I suspect I qualify for both programs. I've been telling myself that I can control my drinking, and it's not that bad. I'm not the falling down on the street kind of drunk my mom was before she got sober. But almost every time I drink, I can't stop at just one. Is my life completely unmanageable because of alcohol? No, but as Megan P. said, I fear I won't be able to reach my fullest potential if I keep drinking. This realization brings tears to my eyes. And as my sponsor in SLAA says, what are you going to do about it? My 40th birthday is Saturday. Maybe that's a good day for sobriety, for a sobriety birthday as well. Thank you for your service, Kathy M. Well, Kathy M., I hope I hear back from you, and then I hope that that 40th birthday became your sobriety date. Kim writes in, a short one here, but she says, thank you so much. I'm disabled, so I have no way of getting to meetings. Your podcasts are awesome. And by goodness, Miss Kim, I am so glad that you wrote in, and I'm so glad we can be a part of your recovery, and we can be there for you, and all these speakers that come in, uh, they're talking just to you, okay? So God bless you, and thank you for hanging in there. Beverly writes in, she says, Hi, John, I just want you to know how much your labor of love means to me. I have been trying to get sober for over six years while battling some debilitating health issues. Six months ago, I changed everything about my program, and finally, the obsession to drink has lifted, at least for today. I have periods that I have to isolate because of my health. Shortly after the new year, I was home recovering from surgery, and my sponsor told me to listen to a podcast a day. I had never listened to a podcast in my life, but by the grace of God, I stumbled upon yours. I am now a daily listener. I start from I started from the beginning and just listened to the replay of Sumera. She is phenomenal. Definitely one of my favorites. I was worried about eventually catching up with you and running out of material, and I decided I would listen to them all over again because I get to hear a little bit of my story in all of them. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, your sober sister, Bev W. 82318 and I am just going to assume that August 23rd of 2018 is Bev's sobriety date and uh, Bev I'm so glad that you wrote in I passed your comments along to Samara she was so thankful to hear from you Samantha writes in on Instagram I have been listening recently on my new hour and a half commute 
to a work treatment center for teens and having these shares available has honestly helped me stay spiritually fit and to be a maximum service to the clients. So grateful and blessed to have the message of Alcoholics Anonymous here for me anytime, anywhere. Thank you so much for getting this together together and spreading the message of light and hope. God bless. Well, thank you, Samantha. Tell those kiddos uh, in the uh, on the on on the 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 bus uh, that you were driving that I said hello and uh, God bless them and I hope that all is going well for the kids and your and yourself Samantha and yourself Samantha um, Sarah writes in on Instagram she says I'm two months sober love listening to your podcast in fact I've started listening to them from the beginning all over again so encouraging and really helps me in my sobriety a blessing Blessing. One day at a time, double exclamation point. Sarah, so glad to hear from you. Keep on listening and uh, uh, keep coming back. And not so much to Sober Speak, even though I hope you come back here, but keep coming back to the program. All right. Uh, Jim S. writes in via email. He says, Hi, John. I heard a reference on one of the podcasts to the bubble hour. So, of course, I went and gave it a listen. What Jim's talking about here is that I was interviewed on the bubble hour. What a testament, John. Thank you. So many people who grew up like you and even under better circumstances are living their lives in a 12 by 12 cell with steel furniture. Yet God had better plans for you and you are now blessing so many. Thank you, John, for the authentic love and caring that is so evident in every podcast. I was very touched by your Valentine's Day greeting and blessing. I don't write all the time because I know you're busy, but be assured I am listening to every podcast. That message from the still-suffering guy whose mother died and then heard your podcast, that was something. In David G's Step 4, I'm going to have to continue to listen to it several times. That was deep. Way more Step 4. There's way more to Step 4 than I ever considered. And I just did a Step 4 and 5 last month. Much to think about. Thank you so much, John. Jim S. Well, thank you, Jim. I appreciate you writing in. Once again, you're a, 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 a kind man, Jim, and I so, so much appreciate all your support. Um, Emmy writes in on Instagram, excuse me, Emma Lee writes in on Instagram. Hi, John. I'm checking in to say that I'm finally healing. I'm working the steps and finding peace in today. As many times as I have tried and failed to stay sober, I'm seeing now that I never treated the root causes. This truly looks like a new start. Thank you for your continued work. You and your guests have inspired me to take big steps, big steps that is for me, to cut out the root causes of my pain. I am rejoicing in each new day, and I have a chance to do the right thing. Emily, God bless you in your uh, journey, Emily. Thank you again for writing in. Uh, do keep me posted. All right, and here's the final letter uh, Steve wrote in. 
Um, and uh, we'll we'll wrap it up after this one. Uh, but he says, Steve says, good morning, John. I discovered your podcast shortly after I discovered the AA Beyond Belief podcast on which you were a guest. I live in the Phoenix area. I've lived in Texas off and on for seven years, two in the Navy in Beeville, 1968 through 1970, and five in the Dallas area, which is where I joined AA. I've lived in the Phoenix area most of my life, and I've hated it (laughs) since I was old enough to feel the heat. (laughs) I get it, Jim. Excuse me, I just called you Jim. Steve, I get it. Uh, I've tried to escape several times, but for one reason or another, I've ended up back here. I hope to eventually live in the northwest part of the country. I was born with a bad attitude, and I didn't find any relief from that until I discovered beer at the age of 15, or as I like to say, I was born an asshole. I don't blame anyone for that, especially my parents. The last thing they needed, or I'm sure wanted, was a kid with an attitude and behavior towards them and everyone else. Like the kids like like to say these days, it is what it is. It just happened, and I've learned to live with it at 70, at the age of 70, and 39 years of sobriety, I still struggle with that. For the first eight or nine years of my drinking, I didn't even try to drink socially. Those years were spent in high school and the Navy. I enjoyed too much the way it made me feel. Then I got married and discovered I couldn't drink socially. I married a teetotaler, so my getting drunk three or four nights a week became a problem. (laughs) Three years into our marriage, we had a son. My wife tried everything she knew to get me to control my drinking, but it didn't work. I ended up choosing drinking over my family. As a result, she packed up our 10-month-old son and moved back in with her parents. As it turned out, It was the best thing that could have happened for all involved. I'm not proud of that, but that's what drinking did to me. That was in 1976. Two years later, I moved to Dallas for a job. In Dallas, I was alone, no friends or family, so I considered myself unsupervised, and now I could drink every night and all weekend if I wanted. As luck would have it, I ended up getting an apartment in a dry county. I would never even have considered a thing if it uh, if it still existed. The blue law was still going on. That's something here in Texas, the blue law. Anyway, I got to the point where I would get up on Saturday morning and have a cup of coffee and then start drinking. I wanted to go out on Saturday nights and I knew I couldn't stay sober all day. I wouldn't get drunk and sleep or I would get drunk and sleep it off, so I was fresh to go out. I did this for about two months, and at that point I realized this was a problem, and I didn't want to live the rest of my life that way. I called AA on the evening of November 19, 1979. 
I was told of a meeting close to where I lived. I don't remember much about that conversation except for the location of the meeting. I'm glad, I'm grateful that she didn't tell me that they were going to be talking about God and a lot of this, uh, this is a forever thing. I wasn't ready for that little tidbit. <laughs> of information. I'm one of the fortunate ones in that the desire to drink was removed right away. I had tried to stop drinking for years, but had no tools except for the willpower, and that clearly didn't work. So when the first half of the first step was explained to me that first night, I was all in. I've had my peaks and valleys like all of us, and I've done a couple things I was advised not to do, but all in all, it's been a great ride the last 39 years. I'm married 38 years this month, and we have a beautiful daughter, none of what I would have been blessed with since I quit drinking would have been possible without AA. Thanks for your podcast. I can only imagine all the time and effort you must put into doing it. I know I really appreciate the folks like you who dedicate so much to help us. Steve K. in Phoenix. Well, Steve K. in Phoenix, if you're ever out here in the Dallas area, uh, let me know. Um, I'd love to meet you eyeball to eyeball. All right, folks, that's it for the week. We'll see you next week. God bless you and keep coming back.